This is the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. A number of laws will have to be amended to bring crypto assets under regulatory scrutiny, and exchanges will be required to enforce anti-money laundering and anti-terrorism laws, just as banks and other financial service providers are currently required to do. A working paper released last week by the Intergovernmental Fintech Working Group, or IFWG, on crypto assets proposes changes to a number of laws to bring crypto assets under the law. A number of players in the crypto industry welcome this because it'll bring the credibility that they crave. Joining us to discuss this and what it means for crypto investors is Farzam Esani, CEO of crypto exchange Valor. Hi, Farzam. Hi, it's been a while since we've had you here. It has been. It's great to be back. And a lot has happened in the meantime. As always. Yeah. Okay, you've been involved certainly in advising this intergovernmental fintech working group on crypto assets. And this paper that came out last week, were there any surprises there for you? I don't think there were any big surprises. Um, This is very consistent with what they've been talking about for the last few years. I think the one thing that I was a little bit disappointed and did come a little bit as a surprise was their stance towards derivatives. And that is that right now they suggest that any derivative that has a crypto underlying should not be brought into the market. Although they do leave some space that says theoretically it could be and you could approach the SARB to launch a derivative. That was disappointing because most of the transactional volume globally in crypto are based on derivatives, you know, swaps or futures, options, etc. And I think it does a disservice to the industry not to have, you know, a fundamental financial product that is there for a number of uses, not to be allowed in South Africa. I think that was a little bit of a surprise and a disappointment for me personally. Have you made any approach to the group and given your thoughts to them? We've already done so, and they actually know my my views about that. They have said that right now that's the current stance and that they continue to say in the paper that this is a living document and that it will be updated with new data and research, etc. So they know very well my views about this particular topic and others. I think overall it was very well received. I think there's a lot of work that's been put into the paper and a lot of uh, engagement with the industry, with the crypto industry itself. You know, before the show here, you were commenting about how they know their stuff and how they've been actually, uh, it's a very well-written paper. And um, there's a lot, as I said, of knowledge that's been poured into there and a lot of consideration. And we'll talk about some of the challenging things like exchange control and things like that. But overall, I think it, it was, apart from that derivative clarification was pretty much part of the course that we expected. It's no secret that they are going to regulate and, and it's going to be regulated under the FISA Act, the Financial Advisory and Intermediary Services Act. So that means exchanges like you, like Valor and everybody else, you'll have to be licensed under the FISA Act. You'll be a financial services provider in exactly the same way as the banks are currently. That means that you'd have to report transactions that are of the value of 25,000 rand or above, right, to the authorities. Is this going to change the way that you currently operate? So the 25,000 rand and above is specifically for cash, physical cash. We actually don't accept physical cash right now. So one of the reasons that we actually did this is that we felt, you know, we're perceived to be a high-risk industry from the regulators, the banking institution. It's a new industry, right? And very few people understand it very well. And so we've actually taken the decision at the moment not to accept physical cash because of that risk element of cash that's anonymous and one doesn't necessarily know where it comes from. For That doesn't actually apply to us, but we are already doing everything that we actually need to be doing based on the regulations that will come soon. 
So we've taken the stance right from the start, this is now nearly three years ago, that we're going to act as if we were regulated. We're going to act as if we are an accountable institution. We're going to have a risk management compliance program. We're going to be having anti-money laundering and counterterrorism financing procedures, policies, monitoring in place, which we do. We are a voluntary uh, reportable institution with the FIC, the Financial Intelligence Center. We, we don't have to be, but we said we want to, and we actually asked to be regulated, and they said there is no framework within which to regulate you. We welcome this because we're already ready. We've been ready for the past three years to do this, so nothing's going to change from a Valor perspective. But I think what will change is that there are many players in the industry that haven't been ready, that aren't necessarily doing all the right things and aren't necessarily the most reputable businesses uh, that the public should be dealing with. So we're looking forward to kind of having an industry that clears out a little bit of the riffraff and we have reputable players that can really bring this asset class in a formal, mainstream way to to the masses. It does... Uh, strike one reading through this document that there's going to be a weeding out process once these regulations come in. So we're going to find out very quickly who are the respectable law-abiding and compliant institutions or exchanges and and who are not. And that's very much needed at the moment. So the the mirror tradings of the world, there will be no space for them in this kind of environment. Hopefully not. The reason I say hopefully not is that, you know, we have a lot of regulation for other asset classes like FX trading and a whole bunch of other things. But scams still take place in those regulated industries. So the point is that just because you have regulation doesn't necessarily mean that now all regulated bodies themselves are going to be doing the right things. So there still needs to be a lot of awareness of the public, a lot of scrutiny for regulated entities to make sure that they're doing the right things. I mean, there are many examples that we know of, of large companies, JSE-listed companies, etc., Uh, that we find out after the fact that they were cooking the books or they were doing things that were illegal, etc. So just because you have an industry that's regulated or you have a player that is regulated doesn't mean that that player is necessarily doing the right things. So we still need to keep aware of the situation. Um, And hopefully the the regulations and the regulators, I mean, will have all the players in a little bit closer embrace, let's call it, um, so that the, the obvious ones that are just shouldn't be in operation are not allowed to exist. Right. There's quite a few laws that are going to apply to crypto activity. There's Forex laws. There is the FIRES Act we've already mentioned. There's the FRC, the Financial Intelligence Center Act. Now, one of the interesting ones was uh, one of the changes that's proposed is that banks would be obliged to allow South Africans to use their foreign exchange allowances to buy crypto. Now, up to now, a lot of the banks have been saying, no, you you want to buy crypto? Sorry, we're not going to uh, allow that to happen. So they've kind of been interpreting in an arbitrary fashion the law, whether to suit their own book or or not. One doesn't know. And, you know, this has happened to a lot of people. Is this a good thing? And, you know, the banks are actually being called to heel and say, okay, this is the law. You're going to have somebody wants to spend his money to buy crypto overseas, you're going to have to oblige. Yeah, so I think this is a clarification of the single discretionary allowance and the foreign investment allowance. 
The single discretionary allowance for the listeners are is a million rand that every South African citizen or permanent resident has that's above 18 years old to be able to take a million rand out of the country for whatever purpose they need. It's a single discretionary allowance. Beyond that, there's the foreign investment allowance, which is an additional 10 million rand above the 1 million. You do need to get a tax clearance certificate or PIN to make sure your tax fares are in order. You need to show that you have the funds to take out of the country, etc. Now, I think this this clarification, I should say, because right now the public is allowed to use their SDA and the FIA to take money offshore, to buy crypto assets offshore. But this clarification came into play because there were some really silly things that were happening with the banks. I know several people who took some of their rands, bought dollars to send offshore, waited a couple of weeks, and then they were told by the bank that, no, you're trying to send these dollars to a crypto exchange offshore. We do not support that. And actually, you're going to, you have to take your money back. But because you already bought the dollars, we're going to sell the dollars back and then you get whatever's left. So these individuals, a couple of individuals, uh, one of them lost 10,000 rand uh, because the bank allowed them to buy the dollars, send the dollars, or it looks like the bank actually didn't even send the dollars, and then sold the dollars back to Czar. And they, the bank told the individual that that's, that's for your loss. So things like that, uh, I think, are unjust. Like there's a single discretionary allowance for people to do with it what they please, obviously, if it's legal, and there's nothing illegal about cryptos right now. And so this clarification is to ensure, my understanding, that the banks have absolutely no reason to reject a transaction going through the traditional FX system to go offshore to a crypto provider offshore. So I think that's that's a very well needed clarification to ensure that there's absolutely no doubt that the public can indeed do this. Right. In South Africa, you can buy crypto with your RAND, so you don't actually need to use your foreign exchange allowances you don't. for that. No, you don't. Where it's really going to be a benefit is for arbitrage services like Valor provides. Correct. So if people do want to, it, there are some costs associated with it. It is a little bit more of a schlep to go offshore. Sometimes the arbitrage isn't necessarily a positive there, etc. But the point is that people should have the option to do so if they want to. So if they want to buy locally, they can come to a place like Valor.com. If they want to go and send their czar offshore, they should be able to do that within the regulatory limits. Right. I think just so that we clarify what arbitrage means, just explain that quickly. Sure. So because of exchange control in South Africa, um, which limits the, the flow of capital in and out of the country, and because there isn't an incredible amount of Bitcoin mining in South Africa on the shores of South Africa, what we find is that there's generally a shortage of supply of Bitcoin into the local market. And given the high demand what happens is that it pushes the price of Bitcoin in the local market anywhere between, call it, 0 to 3 or 4 or 5%, depending on the day. Generally, it's in the very low digits. Sometimes it's 0 and non-existent, and sometimes it's actually negative. But the point is, whenever you have markets of the same good commodity service, well, generally, it's commodity or financial product that has a different price, then you can take advantage of the different price and buy low and sell high instantaneously to lock in a profit or what we call an arbitrage profit. So Valor has a, a product like that. It's called Valor Arbitrage that we help our customers to do that when the arbitrage exists. How has the arbitrage premium been or the arbitrage gap? So basically what you're doing is you're buying Bitcoin cheaper overseas and selling it more expensive on the Valor Exchange yeah. in South Africa. Not So Valor isn't doing it. Customers are doing it. We assist customers do it because Valor actually isn't allowed to do it. But every individual using their own allowance 
is allowed to do it. And so we guide them through that process and they help, we help them with that. And so the, I think yesterday or yesterday it was, a, it was a public holiday, but I think in the past couple of days this week, it's been about 2% to, to a little, maybe a little bit higher. Yeah, which, which is quite low. I mean, it it's typically would trade between 2 and 5%. 5% is very high now. Mm. You know, three years ago, it used to be 30% at times. We don't see those numbers anymore because the, the, the market has matured. But I would probably say we're looking at about, on average, about 2 to 3% at the moment. Sometimes, as I said, a little bit higher, sometimes a bit lower. Right. Well, it was at 15% uh, just a couple of months ago, briefly. Yeah, it may have been a little, but it wouldn't have stayed at But 15, a few people yeah. snatched it, and they, and they yeah. made a 15% yeah. turn on their Bitcoin. Yeah. Okay. The three major crypto exchanges recently put out a press release, I think it was about a week ago, where you'd been requested by South African Revenue Services to provide information on certain clients. Maybe this won't come as a surprise that SARS are actually trying to hunt down who's owning crypto and what are they doing with it. But what is the background to this? And obviously, you took legal advice on this and, and you decided, okay, we're going we're gonna to provide the information that SARS requires. Just explain why that how that came about and why you did this. Sure. So I got a call from SARS and they basically said that they're doing a research exercise. They want to try and test the tax compliance within the crypto industry. Um, <clears throat> it was told to me that this is not for auditing purposes, but really just to get an idea of what the level of compliance is. Um, there was a request to share some, some customer information with SARS. I made it very clear that we have a, a duty towards our customers the pri for the privacy of their information and that we as Valor will certainly not provide any information whatsoever unless absolutely obliged to do so by law. And again, nothing to hide. This is what I said to them directly, what we tell our customers, etc. The integrity and the safety and the privacy of, of our customers' data and assets is absolutely integral. So they basically said, okay, well, you know, let's, uh, let's see what we can do here. And we brought in a couple of the other exchanges, as was mentioned. SARS actually said that they're approaching pretty much all the big exchanges. So beyond the, those three that were mentioned, I'm not so who, sure who else they have approached. But the three, uh, Valor, Luno, and Altcoin, Altcoin Trader, we all got together, chatted with SARS to try to limit the scope of what was asking, what they were asking for, and also to say, under what premise are they asking for this information? And so SARS wrote us all letters, uh, basically citing Section 46 of the Tax Administration Act, which is a really broad and pretty much all-encompassing clause that allows SARS to obtain information about uh, taxpayers. We told SARS that we we'll need to get legal advice because, as I said, we, we do not share unless we absolutely have to by law. Uh, all three entities got legal advice, and the, the legal advice was exactly the same, which is per Section 46 of this Tax Administration Act, that we would be basically breaking the law not to provide such information. So the information was transactional information on a very small number of customers. We asked SARS to actually make it public that they're doing so, they said that it would probably take a little bit longer for them to kind of go through all the internal processes to make such an announcement. So we said, well, we, we don't feel that it's fair for people not to know. And so we made a decision to actually put a press release together, go to the press, release it to the press, so that people in the public knew what was going on. We also uh, made it a point to let our customers, those that were impacted by this, know. So everybody whose data was shared or transaction information was shared, they have been informed uh, by Valor. And uh, again, that information was very limited in scope. The number of customers was very limited, and we shared exactly what Can was you give a sense of how many customers between the three exchanges? Less than 100 between the, the three exchanges. 
And were these high net worth individuals for the most part? It was generally the large traders. Okay. What was the feedback from those who had been requested for information from SARS? You mean our customers? Yeah. Were they protesting it? You know, A, we know that the law is we have to pay tax. So there's nothing untoward about that, right? There's a law in South Africa, income tax, customer, uh, I mean, uh, capital gains tax, et cetera. So, and, and SARS has been very clear about that. April 6th, I believe, in 2018, they made a very big, uh, uh, not a big publication, but they made a press statement that, was, that clarified exactly what the tax treatment of cryptocurrencies is. And, and that has remained. And it's actually not very, any different to any other financial asset. You, you, if you're trading it, then you owe some income tax on it. If you're holding it for a long-term investment and you, you realize gains, then there's capital gains tax on it. So there's nothing surprising about that. And that, that's, that's not what we protested. Uh, but what we were saying is just the way that it's being done is that the public should know that SARS is coming to the exchanges to ask. Uh, we felt that was only right, right? So... For the most part, I mean, the customers, uh, you know, I accepted it. And actually, my understanding is most of the customers are already compliant. So um, I don't think there's any issue there. But there were questions about, you know, what, what is this being used for? Is it just a research exercise? Is it an audit, etc.? And we shared what we could uh, from SARS, which is that we understand this is just to assess, uh, assess tax compliance and that there might be some future action that's based on the outcome of this exercise. All right. So less than 100 clients being yeah. of, of amongst the three biggest exchange yeah. in the countries were requested to provide information. But let, me, let me say very explicitly, from Valor, there were 30 customers. And I understand that there were 30 also from the other exchanges as well. Okay. Um, so I, I cannot confirm that, but I know for sure at Valor there were 30. Right. So what if this was to be ramped up and, and SARS says, we want your entire client base. We want information, transactional history on all of them. What, what is your legal advice on that? I mean, if they ask from the Section 46, then it is what it is. Then the SARS has every right to do so. It's a very difficult thing to do when you, you know, this is a good exercise for SARS to understand also because we have customers that are trading, you know, they're market makers, Right, they they have algorithmic um, bots that are trading that are making prices for other customers to hit, etc. So this is not a simple exercise to say, oh, okay, I bought you know at a hundred and I sold at two hundred, and so I owe some tax. Uh, you know, in some cases, there's a huge amount of data that's involved. Right now, it doesn't change the fact that there is tax obligations on that, and those taxes should be paid. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I think. What we will find is that when you look in the trading space, um, you need to be quite sophisticated both as a trader so that you actually understand what your tax obligation is as well as SARS so that you can understand what the tax obligation needs to be as well. So we are I – th I think there will be – I think there will be a lot of progress, let me say, on this front. Uh, I think SARS will probably come out and give more guidance about exactly what they're doing, et cetera. But at the end of the day, it is quite simple from a principal perspective, which is if you owe tax on cryptocurrency, it's no difference to whether you owe tax on a home, on shares, on goods, whatever it may be. So there's no surprise from that perspective. Right. It's just that the the complexity with the amount of trading on a crypto platform is different to buying and selling a house over two years, for example. 
Okay, going back to this regulatory uh, introduction of regulations, have you got any idea when this is expected? I mean, we're told it's going to happen this year, but we we haven't really seen anything firm yet. And what what would be the impact of that? Do, do you expect that the your, the rate of signups in your business will improve uh, because, for example, institutions, wealth managers, <coughs> family offices, people like that, all of a sudden say, "Okay, now now we have it, it, it's consistent with our mandate. We can actually invest in crypto, so we are going to sign up." Do you, or do you expect there to be relatively little change as a result of regulation? Okay, so two questions about the timing and then what we expect as to the results or the behavior of the public. Timing, the the IFWG has said that they they have 25 recommendations in the paper and they have kind of broken the recommendations down as far as being implemented within 0 to 12 months, 12 to 24 months and beyond 24 months. So some of the the say, low-hanging fruit about kind of getting registered uh, for crypto asset trading platforms or crypto asset service providers, they've said should happen in the next 12 months. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll have to see exactly what happens. I think to your earlier point, what this paper is, is not, these are not laws. These are recommendations and this is a policy position. And then it calls upon the various regulators to actually start implementing some of the recommendations that are in the paper, uh, whether it relates to, as I said, the FASA Act or the FIC Act or the Schedule One of the of the FIC Act, which is actually making you know certain players accountable institutions. So that's that's the first thing, and so we have to see there are many different moving parts. And I, in fact, I mean, some of these things need to be approved by the Minister of Finance. They need to go to Parliament, etc. So there's this is not just a it's not a small process. There are a lot of things that need to, to happen, and that's why various things are going to take various times. That's the first thing. Secondly, from our discussions with specifically institutions and banks, many of these institutions are waiting for regulatory clarity. The IFWG has made it very clear in their paper, or have tried to make it very clear, that by creating a regulatory framework, they are not endorsing crypto assets. Having said that, you've got to really ask yourself the question, well, what does it really mean? You know, like if you're bringing something into the regulatory remit, then you are legitimizing it. And this has actually been ongoing. It's an interesting thing. It's been ongoing for many years where there's this kind of like what people, what regulators say and then what they do. Right. So a lot of regulators have said, and this is not just in South Africa, globally, they've said things like, oh, well, we, we're not going to say that, that crypto is legitimate or not. We'll see. But in the same breath or in the same action, like sometimes in the US, they've confiscated crypto assets and then they've sold them on the market to recoup costs. Right Now, you'll know very well that officials in the United States also go and confiscate drugs. They don't take those drugs and sell the drugs on the market to make a gain. So that very action of selling crypto assets that's been happening from regulators across the world for quite some time in itself shows that this is an asset class. There's nothing wrong with it that the regulators themselves, the, the, the authorities themselves, are actually participating in the sale or purchase of these assets. So that's an interesting thing, A. Then B, even though they say that they're not endorsing it, as I said, by virtue of having a regulatory framework, will bring in institutions, will bring in banks. As I've mentioned many times, I think within the next year, 10 years, there will not be any financial institution that does not offer crypto assets. Right, right now we're talking about do financial institutions bank crypto companies? I'm talking about financial institutions offering the ability to buy and sell crypto assets through their own portal. 
right, through the banking app. So we should expect to see a lot of that. The other thing that uh, the paper made mention of is collective investment schemes and uh, pension funds. And they've said that right now that they should not be investing in crypto assets. Again, that's a little bit of a disappointment from me. I think there are ways because there's an other category for within the regulations where people can purchase other assets. And I think crypto assets would fall under that. But I think that will also change in time so that CISs and pension funds will be allowed. You're talking about the alternative investments, the the allocation for alternative investments. Correct. And of course, in the United States, you've got exchange-traded funds like Grayscale where fund managers can actually invest in it. They're actually investing in a share which is exposed to Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. So in the US, it's not the ETF yet. Canada has the ETF. And there's Grayscale, which is an investment trust over there. Many other parts of the world are are ahead of us in that respect. And even Ethereum, they've got exchange-traded funds for Ethereum. And, right? and many other crypto assets as well, not just Bitcoin and Ethereum, many others as well. Absolutely. Right. But yet we see in South Africa, the, the JSC doesn't seem to want to go there. JSC is also one of those entities that is waiting for clarity from the regulators. And so they've, they've made it very clear recently, as you've said, they've rejected some ETF applications, or crypto ETF applications. And I think that's another area where we should start to see some flourishing of this industry. Once there's a little bit more clarity and places like the JSC, the JSC is a self-regulatory organization where they feel more comfortable to say, okay, we can actually list uh, an asset class or, or an instrument that references Bitcoin or another crypto. Final question here. The crash in crypto prices, I mean, we're looking at a sort of 50% drop. Now, this is not particularly unusual for people who've been in cryptos for some time, but it's certainly taken some of the ebullience out of the markets, if I can use that term. Uh, how have trading conditions been at Valor in these last four to six weeks that we've seen this market downturn? Yeah, there has been a significant downturn. Um, we hit 975,000 Rand per Bitcoin. When was that? That was in April. And we're now trading at about 570,000. So there's been a big turn. Having said that, we're still, you know, on a year, uh, the Bitcoin price is up 224%. But if we look at last, say, three months, it's down 35%. And so we've seen trading continue, actually. Um, volumes have been maybe down a little bit from when there was a lot of euphoria in the market. But the crypto markets are healthy. You know, we are, like the market is trading hundreds of millions of rand per day, you know, and, and sometimes in the billions of rands, you know, one to two billion rand a day. So it's a healthy market. There's a lot of flow. And there's, there's a many, many traders who are professional that are not in the crypto markets to kind of, just buy low and sell high. There are many sophisticated strategies that are also taking place. You know, I talked to one of our traders that was talking about, you know, particular patterns during the day or during the week where they see that there are a little bit of movements where they can take advantage of of, of kind of local, between local exchange markets, international exchange markets, etc. So we're still, you know, versus FX, we're still a very small market, but it's been growing a lot. And um, I think we're beyond the point of, okay, when the price goes up and there's a tremendous amount of volume, and then when it starts going down, then, then the volume kind of also crashes. That's not the case. The volume may go down a little bit, but there's still a, a very healthy amount of volume in the market. And you see new players coming in every day, both individuals and institutions. We've been talking to many hedge funds as well. And the hedge funds are looking at this correction, call it, to say, this might be an entry point now. So there's a lot of activity still happening in the market. And signups are, are healthy. As I mentioned to you a little earlier, there is 
you know, kind of psychology in financial markets, not just crypto, but financial markets where prices are going up, people don't want to lose out. And so they just start signing up and buying, uh, you know, regardless of the fact that generally, you know, once you see things going up, then they're probably going to come down at some point. And if they're going down, they're going to come up at some point. So we are seeing a little bit of a signups that's cooled down from, let's say, six weeks ago, but still very healthy compared to, you know, uh, six months ago or a year ago, much higher than that. So the growth is still very good. I think the research out of Glassnode, which is the blockchain research company, shows that the people who've been selling into this drop are actually the new people, the newcomers to Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, there, there, are, there are some people who leveraged and who borrowed money to, to acquire Bitcoin. Well, they're underwater at the moment. And, of course, they will always be the first to liquidate their positions. But at a time like this, uh, this is something, it's a replay of something that we've seen before. We saw it in early 2018. We've seen it many times before that as well. Correct. This is a time when other people are entering into the market and sometimes big players entering into the market. Are you seeing some of that? Absolutely. Um, (laughs) We saw also MicroStrategy, which is, you know, uh, one of the, it's a data analytics company in the United States that have been buying a lot of crypto for their own balance sheet. Um, recently, they announced that they were buying $400 million worth of Bitcoin. Uh, they were actually raising debt to buy that. That's on top of – they just did a 500 million rand uh, borrowing at 55000 US dollars per per Bitcoin. I'll have to confirm that. Yeah, I, I don't remember that. But they have already bought billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin. And that exercise of, of raising the $400 million was overscribed by Forex. So again, institutions that may be trying to get into that don't have the mandate to actually hold Bitcoin itself, uh, maybe trying to get exposure via you know uh, an institution like MicroStrategy. So there's a lot of interest. The big news, as you saw in the last week or two, has been El Salvador. That's made um, Bitcoin legal tender. Now, let's just think about what that means. Legal tender means that if you want to pay with Bitcoin in El Salvador, that people have to accept it. It's not that, oh, we don't accept Bitcoin right now. No. If someone wants to pay with Bitcoin, it's an obligation for you to accept. That's what legal tender means. And this also now has brought in a lot of questions about what is FX. Now, because, you know, a lot of the U.S. laws, I believe in some of the South African laws, also take some kind of cognizance of what other countries are using as their monetary unit. And the fact that El Salvador is looking at Bitcoin may start to, you know, ask some questions about or make the regulators ask some questions about what is the treatment of these crypto assets, particularly when it comes to things like capital gains tax. El Salvador said very clearly that Bitcoin is exempt from CGT. So is that going to take root in other parts of the world? It's very interesting that the kind of happenings and the, what's what's transpiring in the industry is is extremely exciting. So. It's, it's best that people don't get caught up in the price and only pay attention when the price is high, not when it's low, because this industry is moving quickly. Indeed. Um, it'll be very interesting to see if any other countries follow El Salvador's example. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to watch what happens in the El Salvador economy, because th- that is a very, very bold and progressive move. Very much so. And I think people are we're a bit shocked by it. Kieran, we often talk about this. Take a step back. The world is in serious travail right now. Like our monetary systems are the dollar, the globalization, the internet, the fact that we've only had the internet for a few decades now. I mean, things are really changing rapidly and they're really putting certain paradigms to the test. You know, one of them, exchange control in South Africa, exchange control really makes no sense in this new world that we're living in, particularly with crypto assets, and which is why the regulators are also having such a difficult time marrying crypto assets with exchange control. 
So when you look at, take a step back and you look at kind of the macro things that are happening, we saw that the U.S. is heating up right now from an inflation perspective. The Federal Reserve has talked a little bit about bringing forward the time when they start hiking their interest rates. We're at a very precarious time in humanity, COVID that's taking place, et cetera. So I think our paradigm of the past several decades or even a century, it's changing and it could change very rapidly. Uh, and so it's best not to assume that the past will be representative of the future. And places like El Salvador are, are looking at that. Uh, human beings across the world are looking at what value is, trying to understand money better. So I think the pace and the rate of change is going to accelerate from here. So best everybody make sure that they're paying attention. Farzam Asani, CEO of Vela, thanks very much for joining us on Money with Crypto. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.